Hi, it's Shirley. I'm Manisha from Make It Shine Money. Today's episode is all about food costs, how to save on it and get the most value. From grocery shopping, meal prep kits, and all-you-can-eat buffets. Keep listening to learn more. Welcome to Season 3 of Make It Shine Money. Thank you for joining us again, and I hope you've had an awesome summer. And I'm glad we took a break, Manisha, but I missed our weekly podcast schedule, and I'm really excited that we're recording again today. Me too, Shirley. I missed recording with you, <laughs> and you know, the summer was such a blur. Like, I don't even know where it went, but I'm really glad we're back and sharing and talking about different money topics every week. Me too. Any highlights or insights about money in the past few months? Okay, I don't know about you, but it feels like everything in the world is becoming so expensive. And obviously not just in Canada. Like, I talked to my friends in the UK or in the US, and it's the same story everywhere. The cost of everything is just going through the roof. Yeah, I was looking at flights the last couple of weeks, yeah. and it's just crazy. Like, double the cost to fly anywhere. And even basic things. I mean, this is silly, but we're going to talk about it today. But I just saw online people are advertising that, oh, cost of potatoes have gone down. That's where we're at. We're at Mm -hmm. a point where people are monitoring how much a pound of potatoes cost because it's $6. It was $6 for a pound of potatoes. Can you believe that? You know, it's funny. I was just messaging our friend who works at a CPG company and I asked her, I'm like, hey, I noticed that the price of toilet paper came down. Is it true? (laughs) And she couldn't verify, you know, true or not. But she's like, yeah, the prices of things are are coming down a little bit, but it's still not enough, right? Yeah, for sure. All right, Manisha, let's get into today's topic. It's something we think about every day, and that is the topic of food and what it costs. Yeah, I was actually just talking to my mom about it the other day. So food costs have just skyrocketed. Yeah. So my grocery bill on average is actually, I would say, up by 20%, if not more. And according to the Canadian Consumer Price Index, food costs are at a 41-year high. Wow. And on average, grocery costs are up over 11%, and that's predicted to continue to increase. And I'm quoting these numbers from several different news sources, and it's just a snapshot shot, but cereal is up 18%, coffee and tea up 16%, fruit up 13%, and you get the point. And it's not just Canada. We said the whole world is facing rising food costs. Yeah, I mean, one day apples were 99 cents a pound, and now it's $2.99 a pound. That's three times. A dozen eggs were $3, now it's $6.00. I mean, there are a lot of reasons for this increase, like COVID, obviously, right? They sparked a shock to the entire food economy. Pandemic shut the world down, which meant some food processing companies were temporarily shut down as well, especially, I would say, at the beginning of the pandemic in 2020. And the downstream impacts of that becomes your typical supply and demand problem. Mm. So prices went up because there wasn't enough product to go around. Do you remember all those videos that were showing empty grocery stores and like people fighting, (laughs) fighting in stores over toilet paper? Yeah, I was there (laughs) in person. Okay. Another thing is, you also have to think about labor constraints because not everyone wanted to stay in their jobs. So now there's less people to support food production. And for many companies, they also raise their wages to incentivize the workers. And also now we've got the climate reasons affecting the food supply. So droughts, fires, floods, all of those have ruined crops. There was even snow in Texas, and that hasn't happened for 36 years. Yeah, and more recently, right, the war between Russia and Ukraine is three years now. So this is still ongoing. Both countries are big contributors to the global food economy. So Russia, for example, is actually one of the world's largest producers of nutrients using fertilizers for crops. And both countries are huge exporters of wheat. So cereal costs have gone up so much as a result. Yeah, 18%. So those are some pretty big global impacts. But that only explains a small portion of why food costs are higher. So according to Dr. Mike Swanson, the chief agriculture economist with Wells Fargo, 
15% of every dollar spent at the grocery store reaches the farm level. The other 85% is with manufacturing, retailers, transportation, and wholesalers. Yeah, and this is where you get the headlines, right? Food corporations, all-time high profits. Sure, wages and costs of transportations are higher, but according to senior economist Chris Becker, corporate profit margins, which is what they are making on each unit sold, are actually the highest they've been in 70 years. And Oxfam reported that the Waltons from the Walmart empire had a combined net worth of $238 billion. That is crazy. And that increased by $8.8 billion in the past two years. And the Mars family, so they're famous for their chocolates and candies, they've increased their net worth by $21 billion. Grocers, too. In Canada, we've got the Weston family. They run the largest grocery chain across Canada. And there's been a lot of criticism on the high prices and their price freezing campaign for their no-name store brand products. Yeah, all these families, how many billions do you need? You'd think that if they were family, they would realize how much it costs to feed a family. I don't know if you ever watch Arrested Development, but when I hear stuff like this, I'm always reminded of that little clip where Lucille asks Michael what a banana could cost. And she's like, what could it cost? 10 bucks? <laughs> and our incomes have not gone up at the same rate at all, right? Not even close. Yeah. And food is not something you can stop buying, right? It's not clothes or entertainment. There are other things people can do to trim their bill, which is good. So I'll just list them out and we can react to it. So number one, shop what's on sale or in season. Mm -hmm. So I just talked about potatoes going down. Like if you see sales like that, that could be great. Number two, buy bulk. Number three, meal plan and prep enough meals for several days or freeze the extras for later. Number four, shop for alternatives. So instead of fresh fruit, maybe you want frozen fruit, right? It's just as healthy and may not even go bad as quick. Number five, shop at discount retailers. Or if you're trying out a new recipe, buy those ingredients from Bulk Barn. So you only pay for what you need. Number six, use grocery apps and coupons like Flip. Number seven, shop store brands. So these are like no-name brands. And number eight, transform food scraps. So you could use coffee rinds as plant fertilizer or face scrubs. Or I mean, there's tons of recipes, especially I remember from my grandma's era, which actually use food that quote-unquote has gone bad, but in a different way. Like if you think about sourdough bread, that's how it came about, right? Mm. Okay, what do you think, Shirley? That's a lot we just yeah. said. So first of all, I agree with all of them. I use variations of them. But I would go one step back and figure out your personal average food cost per month. So pull out your credit or debit card statement and add up the cost so you have a number in your head. And so when you start shopping more consciously, you'll know if these tips work for you. My personal money-saving tip on food isn't so much on groceries. And I've talked about this in previous episodes where I track both my grocery and eating out costs. So I know that number. Personally, if I shift my grocery spend from restaurants, that alone would save me a lot of money. You're so good at tracking. I mean, I know it's not healthy and it's obviously so much more expensive, but it's so convenient, right? Getting food and eating outside. And for us, I would say, especially with young kids, oh my gosh, some days it's just so convenient. Order something at the touch of a button. We actually had a really rude awakening, though. So when my little one, when my youngest, she was just one month old, our Uber Eats bill. Okay, take a guess. Our Uber Eats bill was the highest it's ever been. How, how much do you think we spent <laughs> in less than a month on Uber Eats? I have no idea. Every order. I mean, you guys are a family of four. Or, and sometimes five. I mean, yeah, two, so. two plus two kids. We spent a thousand so. bucks, Shirley. Can you believe it? No, I can believe it. It's very expensive. 
<laughs> and speaking of food delivery apps, that market has exploded in the past few years too. So right now it's about a hundred billion market. In 2029, it's predicted to grow to 165 billion. Yeah, it's weird that food delivery apps only started about 10 years ago, but it's become such a normal part of our food culture, right? So in North America, we're familiar with brands like DoorDash and Uber Eats, and they only started in 2013-2014. Yes, some more interesting data about food delivery app users. So this is from the U.S. and 34% of users are millennials and 29% are Gen Z. Their average order value is $26 and in Canada, it's $32. Uber Eats also has an annual cravings report, kind of like the Spotify wrap-up list, but for the whole country. Oh yes, yeah. so 2022's Uber Eats cravings report for Canadians said the most popular data order is the 14th of the month mm -hmm. and peak order period is... 6 p.m., which makes sense. That's dinner time. So Kingston, Ottawa, and Peterborough, which surprised me because <laughs> I live there, were the most polite and wrote thank you in their instructions. And people in Toronto, Vancouver, Montreal were actually the most likely to add special instructions to their foods. And the top three cuisines were Japanese, Indian, and Chinese. Oh, I love that. I fit into all of those stats. My favorite order is to a Japanese restaurant. And my special instruction is no sauce, no mayo. Thank you. What's yours? Mine is Thai, which didn't crack the top three. So my daughter loves Thai. We found out that the price difference between pickup and delivery at this restaurant we get food from all the time was so high that now we just drive and just go and pick it up from the restaurant directly. Okay, let's talk about meal prep kits. So companies like HelloFresh in Canada, Home Chef in the States, and there's like a thousand more of these. There's a meal prep kit for every type of food, diet, and budget. Yeah. So the global meal kit delivery service market size was 20 billion US dollars in 2022. And that's expected to grow at a compound annual growth rate of 15.3% by 2030. Yeah, we were talking about this last night, right? And neither of us has subscribed to these. And I think even if it was offered at a discount rate, we both agreed it's not for us. Yeah. And it's probably because we're not their main target market. We're either cooking on our own or eating out, but I have coworkers that love it. They love the convenience of not having to grocery shop and plan their meals. So for them, the benefits outweigh the costs. Yes, so these are some of the stats. These are specific to the U.S. 17% of Americans have subscribed to a meal kit service at some point in time. That's pretty high, almost one in five. 26% of them are Gen X, 29% are millennials, and more men than women have subscribed. So 23% versus 15%. And according to USA Today, 81% of those that use meal kits actually believe it's healthier than restaurant food. I've tried a meal prep kit once and all the recipes on there were on the healthier side because they definitely don't expect you to deep fry anything. So then how come you didn't stick with it? Well, there's a few reasons. Most of the meal kits come with time estimates on how long it takes to prepare it. So it'll say 30 minutes, but it takes me way longer because I'm not familiar with the steps. I'd much rather spend several hours on a Sunday meal prepping and then just warming it up throughout the week. So you'll see them advertise that the cost comes to $10 to $12 a meal, but I completely disagree with that cost. When I was on the meal kit, I was still hungry and had to add extra vegetables. So that's more money and time to prepare. Yeah, I've actually heard the same from our friends that tried it. I'm actually vegetarian. So for me, I find the average meal cost is not worth it at all. And the more economical version of meal prep kits I think it's just doing it on your own, right? Like there's so many great resources out there. Just go on YouTube, you'll get a grocery list and step-by-step -step instructions. And then you don't really need to eat it all right away. So it's freezer friendly. Shirley, you said earlier that you know your monthly food costs 
But actually, do you track your cost per meal as well? I don't keep track now. I did know it when I used to go to a meal prep service called Supperworks. So at Supperworks, you pick the number of entrees you want and you book a time to visit the store. And then they have different stations and each station will include the ingredients for the specific entree. So when you get there, there's a card telling you how much of each ingredient to scoop and put in a bag. If there was protein that went with the meal, you collected it from the freezer. So you leave with a huge freezer bag of food and that's about six to eight entrees. You freeze most of it and defrost them one by one as you eat them. So that system worked really well for me. And this was several years ago, but cost per meal was probably five to eight dollars and stuff like this you can replicate on your own at home. Yeah, totally. I love it. Okay, so one more fun story to share about the food industry. So with all the rising cost of food, have you ever wondered how do all these all-you-can-eat buffets stay in business? Yes, it's what inspired this food cost episode in the first place. <laughs> so my friend, let's call him Peter. He's a big guy, power weightlifter, and he eats one big meal a day. So there's no chance that he's a profitable customer when he hits the local buffet. Yeah, he's the opposite of who you want at your buffet restaurant. And P- Peter actually loves his protein. Just that alone. Like, you're not making any money off of him. Yeah, definitely not. So first of all, some information about the business model of the buffet restaurant. So buffets charge a flat fixed price per customer. Regardless of how much they eat, there's also a time limit on how long you can be there. Usually around two hours. Yeah, and you have to serve yourself, which is, I think, part of the fun. You know, you strategize, you scoop what you want, and buffets save, right? So they're not paying for waiters, like wait staff. They don't have servers, unless you want to order a drink, of course, and that cost is always extra and not part of the cost of entry, so they do make some money that way. Yeah, and all the rising cost of groceries we just talked about still applies here, but buffets buy in bulk, and they get discounted pricing. But again, margins are really tight. Mm. So to protect their margins, they want to feed you quickly with the cheapest ingredients. So have you noticed at the front of the buffet, it's always foods like rice, potatoes, noodles? Yeah, definitely. But that's what experienced buffet eaters avoid, right? So like Peter, he knows that you have to have a strategy, right? You don't fill your plate with carbs. You go for the more expensive items like oysters, mussels, like whatever special kind of meat there is at the carving station. Yeah. So it seems obvious now that we're talking about it, but there was a study done that shows that 75% of customers, they still fill their plate with whatever is in the first food station, Mm. which is where the heavy, cheap carbs like rice and potatoes are. And even if they go back for seconds and thirds, 66% of their food is still from their first station. Oh, that's so smart. Okay. And then also take a look at your plates the next time you go to a buffet. So not all places do this but this is a trick some buffets use so the dinner plates are just a tad smaller than at a regular restaurant and the scoops are huge for cheap foods like rice and potatoes meanwhile there's no scoop for the expensive foods you've actually got tongs or like you know smaller spoons you're right about the scoops there's been many times where it looks like i have a scoop that much but then a couple bites in i'm like oh crap i took too much (laughs) so meanwhile when you get to the expensive food station not only do they have someone monitoring that station that person also serves you that's right they carefully carve that piece of steak for you and they place it on your plate yeah so the last time i was at a buffet they had a sushi station and the sashimi section was always empty so you actually had to stand there you have to wait for the sushi chef to slice it they're just putting a few pieces at a time and there's people behind you waiting also so you can't just take all of it right so that's definitely a strategy you don't want to be that person that takes everything (laughs) so back to the big eaters like peter who skips the carbs he's all about protein he will likely eat his money's worth if not more but most people don't so the peters Mm -hmm. are all priced in so that buffets don't go out of business yeah, because usually you're not going by yourself to the buffet, right? So Peter's going with someone like you who's not going to eat as much as he's eating. Yeah, but I know these um, tips. I'm going to go for the, the protein station, <laughs> the oysters, the mussels. You're, 
<laughs> I want to see this happen. You're going to go there. You're going to be like, I'm going to eat all this protein and like three, four bites. And you're like, I'm full. <laughs> it is what happens. <laughs> and many buffets also charge a wasted fee, right? So if you leave behind too much food on your plate when you're done, that's good. I mean, I think there's so much wastage that happens there. So don't overscoop. And other things they do to lower food costs is also recycle the leftovers and make it into another dish. Yeah, so turning leftover not items. Your, not from your plate, though. We should I should just say that. It's not the leftovers on your plate that they're charging you a wastage fee for, but like the ones that are in like the actual yeah. serving stations. Yes, yeah. of course. So turning leftover items into stir fries, soups, casseroles, that's really creative and it's still delicious and that helps their bottom line i agree shirley all this talk about food is making me so hungry so this wraps up our food episode we've covered groceries food delivery apps meal prep kits and buffets that's a lot about food and you know what they say there's three ways to a person's heart buy them food make them food or be food (laughs) we hope you enjoyed this episode and please give us a five-star rating and don't forget to make it shine Any views or opinions represented in this podcast are personal and belong solely to the podcast creators and do not represent those of people, institutions, or organizations that the owner may or may not be associated with in professional or personal capacity unless explicitly stated. 